Well, good morning. Thank you for being a friend. Uh, we're in week two of this little series about uh, thinking about what does it mean to be a friend? What does the Bible say about friendship? What's important about friendship? Those kinds of things. Uh, and last week, I invited you to explore with me the great commandment in which Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And, and as we explored that, part of what we understood about Jesus is that we sometimes have the mistaken notion that uh, our neighbors are the people that just live around us. And Jesus way expands our definition of what a neighbor is to say a neighbor is every single person you meet or see every single day. Every single person you meet every single day, uh, including people that may look like this, people that may look different from us. Now, you look at those pictures, and you pick the one that makes you the most uncomfortable and I invite you to recognize that God loves that person that makes you most uncomfortable just as much as he loves you. And if we are going to be the church that we are supposed to be, and, I, and I'm talking about not just about Lighthouse, but about Big C Church, meaning church worldwide, the church has got to understand that we are in the business of loving all people in the name of God. It doesn't matter what they look like, where they're from, what their race is, what their sexual preference is. It doesn't matter. We love them in the name of Jesus Christ. We care about every single one, the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus helps us think about and understand that when God looks at every single person that's ever been on the planet, God looks at them and says, this is my prize. This is the very prize of me. You are the very prize of God. And God sees everybody that way. And if we'll begin to look at people that way as though they are the prize of God, it changes how we speak to them. It changes how we act to them. It changes how we live because they are the prize of God. So today, as we explore and continue looking at this idea of what does the Bible say about friendship and why is this important, uh, we're going to look at another chapter in the gospel. Uh, and this one we're going to look at has to do with the same passage. It's a, a scholarly guy who knows uh, the law, and he poses the question of Jesus wrapped around the great commandments. So I'm going to look in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read verses uh, 25 through 37. This is from the New Living Translation. I invite you to listen for the word of the Lord. It says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. 
Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Let the church say amen. Amen. If I might paraphrase Jesus' response to the man at the very end, the paraphrase would be, go and live a merciful life. Go and live a merciful life. Now, have you ever bought something for yourself, and maybe you didn't say it out loud, but you thought to yourself when you bought whatever that thing was, I deserve this. I earned this. I have a right to this. When I was in seventh grade, my parents, uh, after some conversation, allowed me the privilege of using the family lawnmower to go and drum up some business in the neighborhood to make a little bit of money. And in the summer of my seventh grade, I was, I think, the richest kid in the area because I had a lot of work. And so I had enough money to go to Arby's and get the two-for-one junior sandwiches, which was two bucks back in that day, right? Or I could go to 7-Eleven and get a slushie almost any time I wanted to because I had the money to do so, right? I earned this slushy, or I would go to the movies or those kinds of things. But the big reason why I was earning this money throughout that summer was because I had my eye on something that I really wanted. It was the latest, greatest technology of the day. It was a radio cassette player and recorder that you could carry around with you. It was one of the very first uh, boom boxes, only it was about this big, Right? Uh, It was relatively small, but man, I wanted that dude really badly because then I could record things, I could listen to things, I could put a cassette in and listen to some of my favorite music, I could make uh, my own mixtapes, all that kind of thing. I've got probably 50 of those mixtapes sitting in a box somewhere uh, in our garage that I probably suspect will blow up if I were to try to use them again. But you understand where I'm going with this, I hope, because my perspective was, I deserve this. I earned this. And that radio cassette player, oh, by the way, I I still have it. And as I mentioned, it's in its original box, actually, by the way. And on the outside of the box, it has the original price on it, and it was $37.89. Pretty good for a summer's work, huh? And man, I was proud of that cassette player. Can you remember a time when you said to yourself after you purchased something, I deserve this? It's something that is rampant in our society. In fact, it's one of the basic foundations of our society, I would say, about how our society is ordered. It's ordered in this idea of a a merit-based kind of system. And the simplest example to illustrate it would be to think about a paycheck. You get a paycheck because you earned it, right? You worked for it. 
And as you work, you get the paycheck. If you don't work, you don't get a paycheck. You don't get a paycheck because you're especially handsome or beautiful, or you don't get a paycheck because you're a, a man or a woman or a mom or a dad or whatever, right? You don't get paychecks for those things. You get the paycheck because you worked for it. You earned it. And therefore, we have this society in which we live that says, you get what you earned. And because we live in this society, when we start turning our attention to things of God, our first inclination, at least for many of us, would be to think, well, if I'm going to have something to do with God, if I'm going to have any kind of a relationship with God, I want to know what do I have to do to get that relationship. Because everybody understands you don't get anything for free. And many of us, we struggle with this inclination about exploring things with God because we think, why would God want anything to do with me? Because I know me, and I'm not the greatest person on the planet. Why would God want to know me? We sometimes think we don't deserve a relationship with God. In fact, it's very highly likely that there's somebody here today or maybe somebody that's watching online that's hesitant to even dip their toe into the water, if you will, of God's water because they know how bad a person they are. That if you're watching at home or you're sitting here today, you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't really know that God really wants to be in relationship with me because God... Why would God want a relationship with me? Because I've been so terribly bad. You might be thinking to yourself, Frank, you don't know how bad a person I've been. And therefore, I, I don't think I deserve a relationship with God at all. But you're here because you're hopeful, because you've tried everything else, because you've recognized that, that there's this emptiness in you that you can't fill, and, and so you're exploring. And you've stopped by the church thinking, well, maybe I'll explore here. Well, I've got news for you today. You're right. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve a relationship with God. And you can't earn your relationship with God because it's free. The relationship that we want and long for is a free gift to us. That's what God did for us. Because do you know this about God? Did you know that God knows how bad you are? Did you know that about God? That God knows about all those things that you've done, all those things that you've thought, all those things that you've said, and God loves you anyway. And how wonderful is that? And God knew that if there was ever going to be any kind of restoration between us and God, if we're going to ever have a relationship with God, that God would have to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And that was, would, is about repairing the relationship. And that comes at a great cost. Because God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live and die and rise. Let the church say amen. amen. To live, die, and rise so that Jesus would take our sin and, and get it away from us so that we could have a relationship with God, so that we could be restored to God. This is why we call it grace. It's a gift. It's free. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But God gave it anyway. Paul wrote about it this way in Romans 6.23, where it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And I love the way this particular translation says it, because it says, The wages of sin is death. What we earn 
from our sin is death. We don't deserve anything but death because of our sin. But we have been given life because of Jesus Christ, and that's good news. Can I get another amen? Amen. Think of it this way. You have an uncle that you met when you were five years old. You met him one time, and you've lived your entire life since you were five years old when you met that uncle, and you never had another experience with that uncle again. And, and your uncle dies, and a couple of months later, you get a call from a lawyer that you've never seen before, and the lawyer says, hey, guess what? Your uncle that died a couple of months ago left you a million dollars. Wouldn't that be a grand celebration? But you get where I'm going, don't you? You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve the million dollars. You got the million dollars because you were part of the family. In order to get the gift of God, you have to become a part of the family. And the family gift comes in accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you've not done that before today, let me encourage you to make sure that you do that today that you quit dabbling your toes in the water of God and immerse yourself in God and begin to experience life unlike any other life you could ever have, the life of God. Now, all this conversation about this merit-based system that we live in, about you get what you earn, is important because it helps us begin to understand what Jesus is doing when he responds to this man who asks him the question initially. Because the man is coming from that same position. The man is coming from this position of this merit-based system, that you get what you earn, that you get what you deserve, you, you, you get what you're worth. And, and you hear it in the question because he says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? You get that, right? What should I do? He's asking, what can I do? How can I earn this eternal life? It's a question based on this merit-based system system. Jesus poses a question back to the man. Love the way Jesus does this so frequently. People ask him questions, and he he responds with another question to make them think. He says, what's your take on the law? What does the law say about this eternal life stuff? And the man is a a lawyer, essentially. He's well-versed in the law. And so he responds. He says, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you're right. And then he adds, do this and you will live. Well, now we have a problem. Because Jesus' response to the man surely sank the man's countenance at that time because he knew do this was something he didn't think he could do. He likely knew very well that there's no way that he could ever perfectly love God or perfectly love his neighbors. But this man who's living in this merit-based system hasn't given up. He still thinks there might be something he can do. So the quick-thinking man then asks, okay, so just to be clear, who is my neighbor? And very likely he's thinking, I'm a really good neighbor. I'm a great neighbor. If you went and asked any of the people that live around me in my neighborhood, they would say, oh, man, he's a great neighbor. That man's thinking to himself, you know, I 
I, I do all kinds of things for people in my neighborhood. I mow their lawns. I help them restain their fences. I take care of their dogs when they're out of town. I bring them margaritas every Friday night. Yeah, get lots of amens on that one, right? Yeah. And he's feeling pretty good about himself. You can see in his mind, he's got this concept of scales about what's good and what's bad. And in his mind, he thinks, man, I'm pretty good. The good way outweighs the bad in me. So he's trying to rebuff against Jesus to demonstrate that, okay, I get what you're saying, but I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. So Jesus tells the man a story about another man. And what Jesus is doing is he's responding to this man's thinking that he's pretty good. So he tells the story about a man who's clearly a bad guy, a Samaritan, a guy that when the people heard the story, they'd say, well, this guy's the bad guy. If you put him on a scale, the good would not outweigh the bad at all for this Samaritan guy. And so you know the story. Most of you have heard it before, many of you many times before. It's a story about an Israelite man. He's beaten and robbed and left for dead by the side of the road. Between that long and treacherous road between Jerusalem down to Jericho, and it says that a priest, somebody who knew the law, came by and saw the man lying beaten and left for dead on the side of the road, and he walks by. And then it says a temple assistant, a Levite, uh, in the same way comes upon the guy, and, and he sees him, and he walks past, goes on his way as well. And we understand that, that if you were a learned person, if you were a Jewish leader, to, to, to interact with somebody who had lost some blood would make you unclean. And, and, and surely the temple priest had an appointment he had to get to. And he knew if he messed with this guy, he's going to be late for his appointment. And oh, by the way, he's going to be unclean. So he's going to have to get ceremonially clean again. And so there's all these things that are going through his mind. And he sees the guy and he's like, eh, I don't have time to mess with this. And he goes on his way. And in the same manner, the temple assistant comes, the Levite comes and does the same exact thing. And I hope that as you hear the story, you hear the scales tipping. Because everybody was said, everybody would have thought when Jesus spoke about the temple priest or, or the temple assistant, oh, there's a good guy and, and they're good people. But as the story unfolds, Jesus reveals to us that maybe not. Maybe they're not as good as we all think they are. And then along comes this Samaritan, the Samaritan who was hated by the Jews as a race. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They were the half-breeds. They were the enemy of the Jews. And if you've got the scale out again, as I mentioned already, you would say, well, there's no good in them at all. They're just bad, those Samaritans are. And what does he do, the Samaritan man? He stops. He helps the man. He takes him to the nearby quality inn and leaves his credit card with him at the desk. And he says, pay for whatever he needs. I'll be back in a few days to settle up the account, but just take care of him and make sure he's got what he needs. I'll be back in a few days. And then the passage says in verse 36, Jesus says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, 
Go, now go and do the same. Jesus said, paraphrasing him again, go and live a mercy-full life. The legal expert had come in pride. He knew the law. He was trying to trick Jesus, to, to, to get Jesus to say something that he shouldn't have said that would have, that would have uh, allowed people to, to not respect him anymore. You see, the man wanted to know what he could do, and Jesus tells him, go and do this. Love God perfectly, love your neighbor perfectly, and this is what is required of the law of love. And, and the man then begins to realize that he doesn't have much hope because he knows he can't love God perfectly. He can't love his neighbor perfectly. And it also reminds us today that you cannot base your relationship with God on works because you cannot earn it. And too often in our lives, we get thinking that we can earn our relationship with God. A relationship with God can never be based on human works or accomplishment. If you want to be right with God, you can't earn it. You can't buy it. You have to confess, meaning you have to be willing to admit. You have to be willing to swallow your pride. You have to be willing to say, God, I've made a mess of my life. I'm desperate for some help. Would you come into my life? I ask for forgiveness for my badness, my sin, and I invite your son Jesus to lead my life. If you've not done that before, as I mentioned already, if you've not done it before, please don't leave this place without expressing that to God. Even if you're near the place where, where you think this might be true, let me invite you to jump into the pool, to get off the fence, to quit playing around with God, but instead to immerse yourself in a relationship with God. And it begins with this one relationship. Jesus Christ begins with him. It begins with confession and forgiveness. Maybe you've heard Romans 10, 9. Paul said, if you confess openly that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Is there anybody in this room that, that could get excited about that? That, that, that if, if, if we openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Can I get an hallelujah? That is amazing news. In the end, we understand the religious man who was trying to ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? In other words, he's asking, well, who should I help? But Jesus helps him understand that he's asking the wrong question. It shouldn't be, who should I help? It should be the question of, am I behaving as a neighbor? Am I behaving as a neighbor? A neighbor is someone who's in the business of helping others lead a merciful life, loving others. Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. In it, he teaches every person that you see is your neighbor, how am I to treat them? Well, we're supposed to treat them with mercy. And, oh, by the way, this is part of why the Holy Spirit is so important for our journey. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is released in your life. And part of what the Holy Spirit does 
is the Holy Spirit begins to nudge us, if we're willing to listen, not just with our ears, but with our hearts, that the Holy Spirit is in the business of nudging us into merciful acts all around us because God places people that need mercy in our path. God places people that need mercy in our path. And all God asks us to do is to live a merciful life. And when we're living merciful lives, then we're equipping people with the love of God, helping them see God, get a glimpse of God, so that they might be drawn closer to God into a relationship with Him. Our job is to listen for those nudges and then respond with mercy. Friends, out of all the things that I might say today, I hope that you catch this one at least, that it's really important for us to understand that we've got to listen every single day. When we get up in the morning, we've got to be listening for the Spirit of God to speak into our lives. We got to expect that when we're driving down the road, that God wants to speak into our lives, that God cares about all the things that are going on in our lives, and God wants to use us to impact people that we meet every single day. But if we're deaf because we're so preoccupied with ourselves, we don't get, we don't, we, we miss the opportunities that God puts right in front of us to be merciful with other people. Jesus teaches us that we should be friendly to every person we meet. It's what a neighbor does. And this helps us help them begin to understand the love of God, begin to see it. Friendly means seeing people in love, being friendly with them everywhere we go, and acting with acts of mercy. After I, after I bought my uh, cassette player back in seventh grade, I just got to say, I took it everywhere I went. It was my best bud. Uh, I was probably a little bit obnoxious with it in my family. I remember a few times my sisters uh, ragging on me, as sisters kind of do sometimes, right? And uh, near the end of the summer, uh, as school was getting ready to start back up again, Dad came into my room uh, one night because uh, I, I, I guess I, uh, this is just going to be revealing. I took my cassette player to bed with me. Uh, and I would listen to it as I was going to sleep. In fact, it was, uh, uh, I would turn it on its side because I had one little speaker, and I would turn it up to my ear right here. So I had my little cassette player laying on my pillow with me with it propped up on my head. You get this picture in your mind, don't you, right? And, and I was just really cool at that time because I had this cassette player, and I could listen to it whenever the heck I wanted to. So Dad comes in, and, um, and we had this little conversation and he said, Frank, I just want to say I'm, I'm so proud of you for saving up and earning that money uh, so that you could, you could buy this, something that you really wanted. And he said, it's a really good life lesson for you, Frank, because you need to work and you need to earn, but you, you need to make sure that you're spending it wisely and, and spending on things that you plan to spend. And he said, it took a lot of dis discipline for you to hold that money back and to, to save uh, for the purpose of buying this. But he said, I, I, I don't want you to misunderstand uh, because sometimes people get their relationship with God wrong. They think that they can earn their relationship with God when you can't. He said, we go to worship on Sunday mornings, and Mom and I take you to Sunday school on Sunday mornings, and we do lots of things with the church week in and week out, not because we're trying to earn our place with God, 
but because we've been given mercy and we want to show our love back to God. That's why we go to worship. That's why we give our money. That's why we're involved in a Bible study. All these things that dad would say, he said, I just don't want you to forget that you can't earn your relationship with God. It's a gift. So it is my prayer today, friends, that as you think about friendship and you think about this parable of the Good Samaritan, that when it all gets boiled down and distilled out, the thing that we should remember is that Jesus is saying to us, you and I need to live merciful lives. Go and live a merciful life. Now, I want to ask uh, Kelly and, and JR and I guess the band to come back up here because uh, we're going to sing this song that we sang last week now. It's kind of the theme song for this series other than the thank you for being a friend, right? Uh, so I want to invite you to stand, if you would. And I want to invite you to sing as they lead us this song. It says, pour me out, pour me out, pour me out. Wherever I am, wherever I go, pour me out. It's about this idea of being poured out for the sake of God, about pouring God's mercy on people that we meet, people that we see every single day. And it is my prayer that as we sing, that you would do business with God. That if you've not ever accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you would accept him today. Right now, as we're singing this song, I invite you, I encourage you, I implore you, I beg you, please make the biggest decision you could make in your entire life and invite Jesus in. And if you have invited Jesus in, recommit yourself to him this day. When we sing this song, don't just let the words slip off of your tongue. May they, may they be born out of your heart. God, pour me out. May I be an agent of your mercy everywhere I go. And if you want to pray with somebody, you're welcome to pray with somebody nearby you. Or you're welcome to come up front. There are going to be a couple people up here up front willing to pray with you. If you want to just come and get on your knees, sometimes we just need to get on our knees. You're welcome to do that. Pour me out. Pour me out. Pour me out. Wherever I am, wherever I go, pour me out.